1: It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today, believe it or not, there are some great ways for you to save money when you're shopping for all kinds of things in your life, even in the midst of this crazy inflation we're experiencing. And later, something else is a real steal right now. Certain types of office space, you're a business owner, you're going to want to know that. So inflation is something that you got to be of a certain age to have lived through an era of ugly inflation in the United States. So I'm thinking about what that age would be because we're roughly 40 years out of the last cycle of ugly inflation. So, really, anybody younger than 55 doesn't really relate to it, and that's most Americans are younger than 55, and the truth is the inflation we went through in that era was significantly worse than what we're experiencing right now and had factors that were much harder to control. Our inflation right now is for so many oddball reasons all coming together at once that it's leading to distortions in the market that are very unusual, that in the midst of some things going up, 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 and away, others are on deep discount. It's the craziest thing if you go to stores, watch ads, look at websites How many things are so heavily marked down right now with deals galore, while other categories we're seeing this really high inflation? I mean, obviously, you go to the supermarket, it's been bad, ugly. Uh, You try to buy a house, it's been bad, ugly. You try to rent an apartment, bad, ugly. Getting a car, new or used, bad, ugly. But then buying stuff has been a real deal in so many categories. Retailers reporting bad numbers because so many items, people are like, I don't need those anymore. We're in a big sector rotation right now. And there's deal after deal after deal on, I'm my goodness, you want clothing? Nobody seems to want clothing right now. Is everybody running around naked? What is the deal? I mean, the clearance sales on clothing all over and retailers that have, they actually have trailer loads full of clothing. They can't even inventory out of the trailer into their back rooms to put on the floor. A lot of clothing going directly, never going on the retail floor of a retailer, going directly to clearance-type retailers like Ross and TJ Maxx and Marshalls and stores like that have inventory coming out of their ears and everybody wanting to sell it to them. And then you'd throw in the supply chain disruptions where seasonal goods of all types didn't show up on time. And I talked recently about the ridiculous deals on home exercise equipment and then to like prove the point i had just talked about it on the podcast and i walk into aldi where i talked about before they had marked down the unsold treadmills weight sets and i think the third thing was a stationary bike And they had marked it down again. All those items have been marked down again because nobody's buying this home exercise equipment. And I want to emphasize something I said before about home exercise equipment. A lot of people bought it kind of like people got pandemic puppies. People got pandemic home exercise equipment thinking they'd get off the sofa and they'd go get on the machines. And then they turned out to be much better at holding laundry that needed to be folded than being used as exercise equipment. And now people are selling that stuff off used. I mean, category after category after category, if your finances are really solid right now, there are deals. I mentioned, I think before, I mentioned how appliances that were so ridiculously expensive uh, in 20 and 21, now retailers have fallen all over themselves offering sales and rebates and gift cards and anything. Just please come and get this appliance from us, please. So it's weird because normally when you have a general inflationary environment, everything's going up. I mean, theater candy boxes that were a dollar at dollar tree are now a dollar 25 along with most everything else in dollar tree and walmart raised them from 98 cents to a dollar 24 not that i noticed so we've got prices going up on all different kinds of things at the same time we've got all these other things that are better in price if you zig while everything else is zagging there's opportunity out there. And more so than would normally be true in an inflationary environment, because this inflationary environment has so many weird, unusual factors to it. As for the general inflationary thing going on in the country, I know it feels, if you've never experienced it before, that it feels hopeless. And I promise it's not. The inflation that we have Is going to get under control. It surprised me. I thought it was really temporary. I was wrong. But the reasons we have this inflation, all the various factors mean that it is something we're going to get under control. And I've talked before about the whys of this inflation. I'm not going to do that now. Just trust me, it is going to be under control. And It's possible there's more and more economists predicting that the moves the Federal Reserve is going to have to take to squeeze the inflation out of the economy will lead to a recession. We're starting from such a strong position. It's possible it will just lead to a slowdown in growth, but not a recession. Could lead to something that economists use as a term called a growth recession, where we could see the strong jog market weakened some, but that the economy at its base will still continue to grow. Only time will tell where this all plays out. But I don't see in the cards that we have a deep, serious recession to get rid of the current inflation. Krista?
0: This question's from Curtis in Connecticut. After hearing your conversations about I-Series savings bonds, my wife and I plan to put some of our savings toward them. I'm wondering if there is any reason to buy multiple savings bonds at lower denominations, or should I just buy one savings bond for the total we plan to purchase? We have an amount of money in mind and wanted to hear your thoughts on
1: how to best utilize it. So, Curtis, um, man, people have gone crazy for buying Series I savings bonds. Fantastic, because it's the only deal out there that's a great deal for the small saver, Um, currently earning an interest rate over 9%. Those reset every six months. So much so that the Treasury website keeps crashing and people are complaining all over the place that they're having trouble with the U.S. Treasury executing their orders for the Series I savings bonds. So just doing one large I-bond purchase seems like that would be a lot easier, right? And if you plan to hold the money for whatever period of time from one year to 30 you'll decide to hold it, having your money in one Series I bond of a big denomination is fine. On the other hand, if you're going to put money into Series I savings bonds and you don't know how long you want all the money to be there, that's when you buy different denominations. So you could leave some money aside continuing to grow in Series I bonds Six months at a time, you know, you said, okay, we're going to stay in another six months. But then other money, you might say, you know, we'd like to pull that money out for this, that, or the other. If there are different periods of time, you might want to own the I-bonds. That's why you'd buy the different denominations. To learn more about these, we've got a briefing at Clark.com that we keep revising every time somebody's confused about some part of it we wrote. And you buy them at savingsbonds.gov or treasurydirect.gov.
0: This is from Daniel in Florida. Hi, Clark. My father moved to a big active retirement uh, community, and he is always getting involved, invited to these dinners you talk about at the steakhouses. Right now, I'm not too concerned about him going, even though I encourage him not to. But in 5, 10, or 15 years, that is going to be a different story. Is there anything I can do maybe secretly putting him on a do-not-mail list so he doesn't know I did it and stops getting these.
1: So there is something called the Mail Preference Service, Daniel, that you can pay to stop a lot of the junk mail coming to an aging relative. And I'm trying to remember for physical mail, Chris, if you have to pay $5 to be on that, do you mind looking while I explain it? So the mail preference service both stops physical mail. There's also a service to stop junk phone calls from coming to some extent. But this is an ever-present danger in any retirement community in Florida where everybody in them has a bullseye target on them for trashy annuity salespeople. The annuities they try to hoist onto senior citizens are unconscionable. They are inexcusable and they destroy the finances of so many elderly people. And so I wish there was a simple way. The only thing you and any other sibling can do is stay in constant contact with your dad to make sure he's not falling for the garbage of any of these terrible, terrible, annuity salespeople without a conscience. And what'd you find out about the mail preference service?
0: $2 for online processing and $3 for a mail-in processing.
1: That's where I came up with $5. I added both fees together. The website to go to is dmaconsumers.org. Great. And so Daniel, I hope that at least stops some of the solicitations.
0: And from Jeff in Texas, not a question, but a comment on your comment concerning increased car accidents and fatalities. I had a graduate economics teacher state the same situation. As cars became safer, accidents and fatalities increase. Apparently, people drive more reckless the safer the car since they feel more secure in a safer car. His suggestion to reduce accidents and fatalities would be to make cars less safe. A spike sticking out of the steering wheel would surely reduce the number of accidents and fatalities. Thanks for all you do.
1: So, Jeff, it's really funny because the professor is not completely out of line here, the spike coming out of the steering wheel. Because do you know that when people buy something ultra energy efficient, they start using more energy than they were before. So let's say they get an ultra energy efficient air conditioner and they were keeping the thermostat in the summer at X degrees. And then they go and they spend the money, they get an ultra efficient one. Then they turn the thermostat down to a lower temperature because they figure, well, it's so much cheaper to run this one. I'll just run more air conditioning. It's part of our human nature that We make all these perceptive calculations. And so, well, now we know the car has 62 airbags in it and has the automatic emergency braking and all the steering things and, uh, you know, electronic stability control and blah, 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 blah. And so we get to where we think we're invincible in the car. We're driving too fast. Uh, We're not paying attention like we were. I mean, I don't know what we do. About it. I was reading an article by a safety expert the other day talking about this massive increase in road accidents and fatalities, and it just eats your heart out. I just wish there was a a way we could get a message through because, I mean, people aren't driving as well as they used to, obviously. There's so much more horsepower in cars. Okay, so.
0: I wonder if it's related to increases in crime and everything.
1: I don't know. I mean, you need a a sociologist looking back five years from now and Mm -hmm. telling us what it all meant. But I was driving on a street the other day that had a right turn lane and then a through lane. There's a long line of us in the through lane. And then out of my rearview mirror, I see a guy, I assume a guy, he was going too fast for me to know, pulls into the right turn only lane races up at an extremely high rate of speed and at the last second cuts over in front of the line of cars and could have easily could have easily run into a tree or whatever and sometime that guy's going to run into a tree or a woman who drives like a stupid guy and it's just a terrible terrible thing that we've lost our common sense and judgment about Because now we've got these cars that are so much safer. The road design is safer. All these things that we, for years, were seeing trending, steadily lower fatalities on the road. And we've thrown that all away. And it just eats at me. So I hope next time you're feeling a little aggressive with the horsepower your vehicle has, you'll hear me playing the tape in the back of your head. And you just dial back just a little bit and be safer on the road. So completely different topic coming up. And there've been all the dislocations in the real estate market. We've talked about the rents going up, the housing prices going up, but one sector of the market is acting really, really weird. And if you're a business owner, you need to know how you can benefit from its weirdness i got a question for you. Do you know what a cereal box is in real estate? That's what people refer to, urban planners refer to a lot of the office space in the United States, that it's just unimaginative, ugly, and doesn't have cute drawings on it like Tony the Tiger or Captain Crunch or something like that. They're just ugly, ugly steel, concrete, glass towers. And they don't age well. Well, right now in the United States, 20% more or less of office space is unleased. Now, that doesn't account for all of it that's empty where companies are in leases that are long-term leases they signed before COVID. And the workers, the one-third of us who have had the good fortune to be in jobs where we don't have to go to a place. The workers just aren't coming back. Company after company that said, yeah, everybody's going to be back by such and such a date. And then they suddenly see all these resignations. And so they're not making people come back all the time. So now they're all talking this hybrid stuff, which means you need a lot less space if effectively people are in the office a third to 40% of the time, even if you do have them come back. So I want you to know if you're a business owner and you're leasing space, how in the world could it be that the amount of vacant space in the country has been rising even of late and rents overall have gone up a bit? Because you got to understand the sector. So we've got all this new hip happening space with the rafters exposed, you know, the, the um, lofty kind of office space with the brick accents that companies are doing to try to appeal to a certain demographic of workers that they'll feel like, hey, this is a hip-happening place and I want to be here because the office space is so cool. And then there are people who are, like, really into uh, the cheapest space they can get. That leaves this giant middle of traditional office space what's called the cereal boxes, and a lot of those buildings are just empty. There's one I was in the other day going to an appointment. So I'm walking through the floor, and I realize almost every space was empty on that floor. So I did something only I would do. I finished my visit. I got on the elevator and went to the next floor and walked around it. There was empty space all over the place. And before you really think I've lost my mind, it was a 10-story building. I only went to three floors and looked. Same story in the building. That one space after another after another may have been leased, but it was unoccupied. The opportunity for you, if you're a business that you actually need space, is to use this completely to your advantage. And look for these buildings that are, eh, you can figure they were built maybe in the 80s, but more typically in the 90s or the first decade of the 2000s. And they were all built this certain like really boring kind of thing. And nobody wants that space. So opportunity for you. So you can still rent boring space. And put in ping pong tables and pool tables and foosball and air hockey and whatever else and make it look like it's really cool and have free snacks and free whatever for your employees. And if you're of the mind that you have free beer on Friday, you have that. I mean, it's the atmosphere you create in one of those impersonal, boring, ugly boxes that can end up still saving you a fortune. This is a weirdly unique opportunity. The other thing is going to happen. They're gonna, there's going to be architects that specialize in converting these hideously ugly, unloved buildings into housing because, man, do we need more affordable rental housing in the United States. These buildings already obviously have plumbing because of the uh, common facilities for bathrooms. There's opportunity that people are going to seize to do these conversions. There's always been, I mean, I remember when we used to have these little tiny gas stations and we had a ton of them in the country, so many more gas stations than we have now, And then the market went to these, what are called pumpers, these really big, busy gas stations. And all those little ones went by the wayside. But what'd you do with those facilities? They were at corners. They were really prime real estate. There was a whole subsection of architecture that figured out how to convert those old gas stations to alternative uses. We obviously need that today with all these cereal box offices. You ever heard them called that? I
0: have not. That's a new term to me. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Oh, you know, all the ugly ones. Yes. Yeah. But the price makes them beautiful. Sure. Sure.
0: Okay. (laughs) This is from John in Virginia. I agree in principle that home warranty companies are difficult to work with and their policies aren't always the best, with two exceptions. I've paid for my water line, $4.99, and sewer line, $9.99, policies since 2012. In 2015, my 40-year-old water line needed to be replaced. The estimated repair cost was $4,000. Even if I'd been paying $4.99 for that entire time, My total cost for insurance would have been $2,395.20, and I still would have saved over $1,600. I can only presume my sewer line will need replacement at some point at an approximate cost of $8,500. If something were to happen to my sewer line today, I would still have saved over $3,700. Notwithstanding your recommendation, I intend to maintain both policies because unlike the others, the home warranty company would have to provide replacement materials and installation work that meets local code. Do you agree with my
1: analysis? So you said this was from John?
0: Yes, John in Virginia.
1: So my brother Neil is writing under an assumed name now. (laughs) My brother Neil uh, sells group health insurance for a living. And he's such a believer in insurance that he has an insurance policy for every like individual thing in his life possible. And like you, John, he'll say to me, well, Clark, you know, if I have to repair this, if I have to replace that TV, if I have to do this out of the other, it's going to cost me so much more than this warranty would cost. And it is true, exactly what you said, John, that if you take an individual item in your life, And you say, well, if it breaks, it's going to cost me this much to replace it or repair it or whatever. But if I have the insurance, it only costs this much. It's all a matter of odds. Like so often with product service contracts, like my brother likes to buy, the odds of something breaking are relatively small. So if it does break, yes, the math overwhelmingly works for you. But the reason the companies sell the insurance plans or service contracts or whatever is because the math actually works for them because most of the time none of these things are actually going to happen. So your example is just as valid as my brother's for every last thing that yes, if that item breaks, the math works overwhelmingly in your favor. But if you think about everything that you have that might require coverage, and you add together all the premiums for all of them, not everything in your life is going to go bad. Not everything in your life is going to break, and that's why your math at one level is actually compelling. I mean, you're going to get a big return on your money versus what you paid in, but if you think of the totality of your life, you're much better off having a maintenance fund that you contribute to regularly rather than ensuring individual things like that
0: and this one's from jim in michigan my financial chromebook will reach its auto update expiration at the end of june i'm trying to shop for a new one and found google's list of make model and aue date but i've spent hours looking online it's almost impossible to find one that will be supported more than a couple of years it borders on criminal that manufacturers and retailers seem to hide the fact that the deal they're promoting is for a product that has so little life. Do you have any shopping hints to only see models that have a lot of life in them? Please help me, Clark.
1: Jim, I feel your pain completely. This is an area where Google has really let their customer base down and Apple has served its customer base well. Apple does a great job of supporting Older iPhones. They do a great job of supporting older Macs for a long time with proper software updates. And Google, on its Chrome system and Chromebooks, and with its Android phones, has done a terrible job with both. I want to tell you the brilliance of what Apple's done. Apple has created great residual value for computers used and for iPhones used that the equivalent does not exist in the Android and Chromebook world because of this short-sighted policy of Google and not providing automatic updates for years and years to come. Now, Google has gotten hammered a lot in the technology press about this exact problem, and I'm going to see... If I can find, Jim, a source where you can see which Chromebook manufacturers have worked out with Google long-term support for updates, because you cannot use a Chromebook safely once updates stop, because then it's subject to vulnerabilities from hackers that could put you and your personal information, your financial information at great risk. So it is a very, very valid weakness that you have pointed out with the Google suite of products, and I'm going to get you an answer, and we will update that on the podcast, and we'll share it with you as well.
0: And from Fran in New Hampshire, where can I buy less expensive trifocal eyeglasses, either online or discount stores? I see that they all have bifocals, but no mention of trifocals. I tried progressives and did not like them at all.
1: Yeah, uh, trifocals is a very narrow market. And so a lot of the deep discounters don't do trifocals. Uh, there are some of them, like one I've talked about before, I buy direct. E-Y-E-B-U-Y direct.com does. And there are others as well. If you search um, cheap eyeglasses as a Google search or any Mm -hmm. other search engine, you will see many different online sellers of glasses you may not have heard uh, before. Uh, Reputation quality will vary from one to another. But you can see who actually does trifocals. Special emphasis on what their money back guarantee is. If you were to buy from someone and the trifocals don't work for you, are you just stuck with them or are you offered a period of time to return for a full refund? That's what you want to be looking for because even if you find a discounter for trifocals, they're still not going to be dirt cheap obviously trifocals at a traditional optical shop will cost a fortune they may even bleed into four figures but very commonly more than five hundred dollars and that's why it makes so much sense Fran that you're attempting to shop around for them and some of the deep discounters do in fact offer reasonable prices on the trifocals and I want to thank you so much for listening today want to mention that if you are a bifocal wearer progressive lens or single vision lens the choices in the marketplace are so ridiculously cheap now with glasses available for you as cheap as 10 bucks frames lenses complete no joke and speaking of no joke we got no joking deals for you all the time on clarkdeals.com when you're looking for bargains to stretch every dollar, we're there to serve you.